Last year, Jillian Bachelor and her team generated over $3.5 million in the real estate game. Her first year at 18, she made $197,000. Now that she's been in the industry for two decades, she runs a team of over 20 agents. She owns a title company, a mortgage company, a construction company. She's owned over 30 personal properties and over 100 investment properties. So needless to say, Jillian knows exactly how you can make money in the real estate game. Can't wait for you to hear what Jillian has to say on today's show. Jillian, we're incredibly excited to have you on the show. And, um, you know, for those of the people who don't know you as well, we're going to get into your background and where you came from. But just to get started, you know, you started in real estate at 18. You made just under 200K your very first year as an 18-year-old in real estate. You've now been in real estate for two decades you're the part owner of a title company, part owner of a mortgage company. You're the part owner of a construction company. You've owned over 30 personal properties, 100 plus investment properties. Your team last year did over 3.5 million in revenue. So can't wait for you to share everything that you've got to offer with our guests. But let's start with like, what got you into real estate? Oh, so I love that. I love that question because I feel like everybody has a story, yeah. right? So it's important to know, like, not even just your why, but like what, like, spark that, like, lit that spark in you, yeah. right? Really, really important. So I'll tell you this. So I was a, a, a daughter of a single mom, myself, my sister, and my mom. Yeah. We moved all the time, every single school year. I, I moved to Vegas when I was six years old, first major move. Um, and then every single school year from then on, we moved until I was in high school. Never, ever, ever did I go to one school more than one year until I was in high school. Wow. And I'll say as a kid, I hated it because every year you got to start over, you got to make new friends, you're in a new neighborhood every single year. And we, because we rented a lot, we didn't have that security. Yeah. So we were moving, 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 moving all over town. And as a child, you, because I mean, you really don't look at it from the perspective of a child when you're thinking about real estate. When you're thinking about real estate owning or investing, you think about it from the parent or the making the money. Yeah. But I saw it from the, the aspect of a child. And so there was no security. I hated making new friends. Now on the flip side, it made me who I am today. I can talk to anybody. Yeah. I'm not afraid of strangers. I'm not afraid of a new environment. I'm not afraid of change. So that was the benefit, which I always like to see the benefit of things. But the drawback was constant change. Yeah. So I will say when I was 12, my mom bought our first house and it was very modest. You guys, I'll tell you, it was $80,000. It was at Jones and Charleston, which was a very blue collar neighborhood. The house then was 55 years old, which in Vegas is very old. Yeah. Like if people know, Vegas was really old. I thought it was a mansion. I'll tell you now, it's 1,200 square feet with the converted garage. It was 1,200 square feet. So wow. it was 1,000 before that. So we had no garage. I thought we had the biggest backyard in the world. It was a 6,000 square foot backyard. We had a shed in the back, which is where the dryer was because there was no dryer in the house. And we had an above ground pool. And I thought we were living like kings. <laughs> I mean, I literally was like, you don't understand. We, we struck the lotto. I don't know what happened. Yeah. My mom tells me back then the mortgage payment was $550 a month. Can you imagine a mortgage payment? Wow. But she was a single mom making 10 bucks an hour. And she said it took her one whole paycheck. So two weeks of working to pay that mortgage. And we lived on one paycheck. Now, as a kid, I didn't understand it at the time. But I loved having my, it was the first time I ever had my own bedroom. Yeah. I was 12 years old and I was like, I have my own bedroom, little tiny closet, very modest. But I didn't know that at the time. And so feeling that security. And so but then we lived there for about a year and a half. And then we moved again. Now we moved because my mom owned real estate. She was making equity. Got it. The market was going up. I didn't, again, fully understand that as a 12 and 13-year-old. But it really put us to a place of 
her living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck and struggling to get by to now when she had equity, she was able to start paying off her credit cards. I remember being a 13-year-old and my mom sitting down and telling us, I have $50,000 in credit card debt. $50,000 sounded to me like $10 million. Yeah. She might have just said we were drowning. And then when we sold that house, she was able to pay off those credit cards and get into another house. And then we went to a bigger house and a bigger house. And in high school, I was in the same house for four years, which I know may sound like a normal thing to a lot of people, but for us, it was not. Yeah. And so to have that stability and that safety was major. So for me, when I turned 18, my mom had gotten into real estate and I thought, I absolutely want to do that. I want to deliver other people that feeling. Yeah. It was about a feeling of safety, security, and opportunity. Opportunity is the key word because we would have never, as a mother making $10 an hour renting, tell me how she would have paid off $50,000 in credit card debt. It would have never happened. Yeah, It would have never, ever happened without owning the home. You got to feel like from a child's perspective, how real estate ownership can actually change the whole trajectory of a family. Of an entire family. And not only that, it, I, will, I will be honest, I'm going to be straightforward about this. As she built equity, it put us into better, safer neighborhoods. Yeah. We didn't start in the best neighborhoods. I'm going to tell you, there were some rough neighborhoods that we lived in in Vegas. And it also changed that feeling of safety, that feeling of security, that feeling of stability. So, I mean, it did a lot for our psyche. You don't understand psychologically as, a, as a, an adult what it does to you to own something. Sure. But as a child— what it does to you to know that your parents own something too. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Because when you're a child, you may not understand what the spreadsheets look like or all of that stuff or what the family's finances really are. But you know what it feels like to be safe in a good neighborhood and with mom and dad doing well in a stable position financially and when they're not. You know what that feels like? Absolutely, you do. Yep. Okay, so your first couple of years in real estate, what were they like? I mean, you were 18 years old. You were all excited. You knew you wanted to take on the world. How did those first couple of years go? So I'll tell you this. So my mom told me, hey, Jillian, the and this is actually a higher number than it is today, surprisingly. Hey, Jillian, the average realtor makes $18,000 a year. Just be prepared for it. And I thought, well, that's terrible. Yeah. Who wants to make $18,000 a year <laughs> and have expenses? Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound like something I want to strive for, right. right? Like that didn't sound amazing to me. And so when she told me that, I thought, no, I'm not going to be the average. Yeah. I'm not going to do what the average realtor makes. $18,000 a year is, and actually today, the average realtor makes about 7000 a year. Wow. But back then it was eighteen. I didn't realize the number was so big. Um, so yeah, so actually that was in my first nine months. I went in, got licensed on February 28th, started actually being able to practice real estate March 1st, didn't close my first deal to April 1st. So from April 1st to December 31st, I made $197,000. Wow. And I thought I was rich. Yeah, I mean, I thought I was uh, Donald Trump, whatever. I Bill mean, Gates for I an eighteen-year-old, that's pretty darn I, good. I was, I was, lo- I felt <laughs> I was loaded, you guys. I yeah. was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Um, and actually, then as I got to be like 20, 21, and I was investing in homes, I was buying homes. Mm-hmm. I owned my first investment property that was not a primary at twenty-one. And now I look at it, a lot of people don't even own their first home at 21. I owned my home and an investment property at 21. Then I sold that investment property and I started turning over real estate quickly. And I sold that investment property and bought two investment properties. I sold those two and bought four. I sold those four and bought eight. And a lot of times I was doing it quietly. Sometimes I would tell people, at one point I remember being at dinner with my family and I was like, yeah, I have like five investment homes. And they were like, what? They didn't know I had any. Because I was like, because I didn't know, honestly, I'll tell you. 
I was taking some risks mm-hmm. and I didn't know if they were going to pay out or not. So I didn't want to look like a fool at first and tell yeah. everybody like, oh, I'm buying all this real estate and leveraging. You know, I was using my credit. I was using my income. I was using down payments. I was using commission towards closing costs and everything. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it fared me quite well. And I've had a few real estate deals that maybe didn't pan out the way I would have liked them sure. to. But overall, the majority of them have made really good money. Yeah. Well, at 18, I mean, that's the time to go take those risks, Yeah, you know? I mean, because you can recover. Let's say if it it didn't go great or you made some bad bets or mistakes, you got all the time in the world to recover from that. So it paid off really well for you. So let's talk about some of the common misconceptions that people have about real estate. So you got into it. You had an incredible first year making about 200K. So that doesn't pan out that way for everybody. You said no. average realtor no. at that point made 18K. Yeah. So what were those people doing? So I'll tell you the, the biggest misconception out there for real estate agents is that either if you want to be a real estate agent, I'll tell you that misconception and then I'll tell you what the public thinks. Okay. So as if you want to be a real estate agent, you just think everyone's making money. You think everyone's driving a Mercedes. You think everyone's doing these, selling these glamorous houses and going on beautiful lunches and on with billionaire clients. That's not the case. Yeah. I was selling crappy real estate. Mm-hmm. I was selling homes in the hood. I was selling homes that like were dirty. I was telling somebody today, I had somebody asking me to take my shoes off and there was urine, pet urine stained carpet everywhere. Wow. And I'm walking in like urine stained carpet. And I'm like, this is gross. Um, so from a real estate agent standpoint or those wanting to be a real estate agent, you just think it's all going to be like, you, you think it's going to be like selling sunset on TV or yeah. something, right? Not the case. Let me tell you, the grind starts as soon as you wake up. Yeah. 6, 7 a.m. It starts. I'm telling you, I'd be on the phone with clients till 11 p.m. Wow. There is no off time in real estate. They don't care if it's Mother's Day. I don't. I have clients who are Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness. They don't care if it's Christmas. They yeah. want to go out and see homes. Uh, and and this is one thing to keep in mind: when the rest of the world is off, when it's a holiday, you're going to be working. Yeah. Because that's when people want to see homes. That's when people want to do their listings. That's when people can travel and come to Vegas to look at properties. So yeah. if it's a if you enjoy off time, real estate is not for you. Yeah. Because if you want to actually grind and hustle, those that are making money are grinding and hustling there. They avoid working a 40-hour work week to work 80 hours or 120 hours to work for themselves. So the high level of success is going to take a lot of effort. Now, from the public's perception, let me tell you that. From the public's perception, again, they think, I think a lot of um, public thinks that realtors can either be lazy. So when you find a really good one, hold on to them, you guys, because a lot of realtors just don't know. They, They don't know how hard it does take to work. They don't know... Like my clients will praise me because if they text me at 11 o'clock at night, I'll get back to them in two seconds. If I'm awake, I always tell my clients, if I'm awake, I'm gonna respond right back to you. Yeah. Because I'd rather do that than worry about doing it tomorrow or the next day. And the big thing to realize as a realtor, when your client is buying or selling a home, I don't care if they're a seasoned investor and they bought a hundred properties or they're a first time home buyer, this is the biggest thing in their life right now. Yeah. And if you don't treat it like it's the biggest thing in your life, they're going to drop you. If you treat it like, oh, I'll just get to you whenever, you're a nobody or whatever. Again, I don't care if they're buying a $90,000 condo. It's the biggest financial decision in their life at this moment. And you Definitely. need to treat it as as that important. Yeah. So that's the biggest misconception, I think. Realtors think it's going to be easy and it is not easy. Yeah. And buyers and sellers think that either we don't put in enough work or we're lazy or they think that we're just not valuable for our money. So you have to prove your value. Yeah. and provide your value. And especially if you want to be in it long-term. Because the long-term name of the game is to get those referrals. Yeah. Referrals only come if you give excellent, excellent customer service. Right, right. And so if you go above and beyond for your clients, and here's another thing. I'll have I'll have realtors tell me all the time, that's not my job. That's not my job. I don't have to clean up the, the trash that's in the garage. I don't have to clean up the dog poop in the backyard. You're right. 
as a realtor, my job is to negotiate contracts for you. But as a service provider, yeah. which is what I'm selling you, is to go above and beyond. You know how many times I've changed out light bulbs, I've cleaned countertops, I've trashed out a property, I've cleaned up dog poop in the backyard. Yeah. Because I'm going the extra mile to sell my client's home or to, to make sure make their sure experience happy. is yeah. incredible with you. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. Well, you know, you've been in the real estate game now for two decades. You've yeah. made a lot of money. You made a lot of great connections. You've been really successful. So for you, what would you say is the best way for a beginner to get into real estate and make money? So number one, don't find a way to say no. Find a way to say yes. Kind of what I was just saying before. I've had clients that said to me, hey, Jillian, who's the best dentist? Keep in mind, I'm a realtor, mm -hmm. but I will find you the best dentist. Yeah. I have had a, a Valentine's Day just passed. I booked 10 dinner reservations at some of the best restaurants in the city. I book them always December 1st for mm -hmm. Valentine's Day. And I contact my clients and I say, hey, I have, for especially, I don't want to be sexist, but those men, maybe yeah. those women who forgot last minute to make a dinner reservation. You don't know you're in Vegas. And sometimes it books up two months in advance at some of the best restaurants. I sent an email blast out to my clients. I say, I have 10 dinner reservations for you guys at the best restaurants. The first 10 people that reply, get my reservations. Wow. And it's about going above and beyond. That has nothing to do with real estate. Yeah. But now I've provided a service when John calls me and John says, oh my gosh, it's my you know 10 year anniversary or Valentine's Day is the day I proposed to her and I forgot to make this. I got so busy with the kids, whatever. Now I just made John look like a hero. Now John's going to remember me six months from now when his cousin says he wants to buy a house, even though it had nothing to do with real estate. So the best way to make money, yeah, get your license, look for ways to go above and beyond. Look for ways to become valuable. Yeah. Once you're valuable, people will pay you for your service. And then don't be afraid to grind. When you're first starting out, it's like if you open a Starbucks today, if you open a taco shop today, you're not going to be profitable on day one. Don't be afraid to grind. Get up and get your butt to work eight o'clock in the morning. And don't be afraid to work till eight o'clock at night. When I was first, that first nine months in the business, the reason why I made so much money, and granted, I didn't have kids yet, but I was the first one in the office and I was the last one in the office. And back then, I worked for a company called Century 21 Money World. They're not around anymore. But they didn't even used to give out the alarm codes to their agents. And they had to actually come and give me an alarm code because my broker was so sick of coming back late at night every night to shut down the building. He said, Jillian, you're the last one here every night. I'm just going to give you an alarm code. So I was the first one in, wow. last one out. That's why I made that money. It sounds like you've become essentially like a networking guru because like you said, it, the, the setting up reservations, that's got nothing to do with real estate, nothing. but you're looking at it like, how can I become a valuable, memorable person in these people's lives? How can I make those connections? Because if they're looking at you as a Jillian, the person that get the, gets things done, Jillian, the person who I can rely on, yeah. then of course they're going to come to you for Jillian, the person I want managing my home purchase, right? Oh yeah, the last weekend somebody called me and said, can I get them concert tickets and a babysitter? Yeah. Again, nothing to do with real estate. I said, you know, and they weren't asking me to pay for the concert tickets or yeah. even a comp. They just wanted to see if I had a connection. Yeah. And because I do have such a large, net, large network, I could post something on Facebook and get a response right away. Wow. And I said, I have concert tickets for you. Here you go. Pay this person. Has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. I'm just the connector. Yeah. That's it, right? And then I said, a babysitter. Sure, I got daughters. I got nieces. I got <laughs> friends with daughters. Yep. And they drive across town and I arrange babysitters all the time. Again, I don't get paid for any of this. I don't take a spread. I don't ask anybody to compensate me anyway. Like I yeah. don't take part of the babysitter's money or anything like that. It's about that customer service level because they're always going to remember me. And I tell people, I want to be your concierge real estate agent. Anything you need. I've gone to the OBGYN with clients before. Yeah. Like if you just need a friend, some people move here. Like I had a lady moving here 
they were doing a military transfer. Husband wasn't transferred yet. Mm-hmm. She goes, Jillian, I don't know one person in the city. I'm nervous. I need to go to the OBGYN's office. Will you go with me? She just wanted someone to just be there to support her. That was it. Wow. And I just sold her a house. I said, sure, I'll go with you. Because awesome. people just need support sometimes. Yeah, I love that. So I was looking at also, like, there's tons of different ways to actually make money in real estate. There's, you know, investment properties, there's buying and selling homes. So what would you say is the easiest or simplest way for like a a rookie or a newcomer to actually make a profit in? So you're right. There are so many different ways. So there's the traditional way. You can buy a home, sell a home. You could buy a flip, go in, do a rehab to it, resell it. Mm Mm-hmm. You can do a wraparound mortgage. You can take over somebody's mortgage that they're behind. Put that person that was already living there, the previous owner, make them a tenant. You wrap around their mortgage. You basically essentially take over their mortgage. Now they pay you Yeah. without even buying the house. They're just transferring the deed. You can do investing like gap funding. So you can help out other seasoned investors or seasoned flippers. Let's just say you have Mm $20,000. Maybe that's not enough to buy a house or do a down payment. You can gap fund that $20,000, which means... The investor has gotten a loan for, let's say, 70%. He's raising the difference in the spread. Mm-hmm. And then that investor will then pay you out your 20000 when the house sells, plus some interest. Let's say it's 2%, 5%, 10%. Yeah. Now you've just made some money, right? right? So you can gap fund. You can wholesale deals. You can find, hey, John and Jane Doe that are in a house. They're needing to get out. Maybe there was a hoarder in there. Maybe somebody died. Whatever the situation is. Yeah. You can start calling for dollars to find people who need to get out of the situation for whatever it is. Then all you do is find that deal. You give that deal to someone like myself who will then connect it with an investor and we'll pay you a spread just for finding the deal. Could be $5,000, could be $50,000. I've paid people $100,000 deals on wholesale. You've just found the deal. You didn't broker it. You didn't negotiate the price. You didn't do any of that. You just found me the deal, placed it in my lap. So you can buy and sell. You can buy and hold. You can flip. You can buy as an investment. You can gap fund, you can wholesale, you can uh, invest. You can do like a retap of investing. You yeah. can do multifamily. Wow. So really it's just figure out, first step would be figure out how much money you have. Mm-hmm. Is it 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000? Get with a seasoned vet, either investor or real estate agent and say, okay, how do I make this? And then an average spread right now in today's real estate market, if you can make 5% of your money, that would be the minimum you want to make. Mm-hmm. 10% is a fantastic return. 12% is like amazing. Yeah. So anywhere between that five and 10 is what you should expect. So if you give me 10,000, if I can give you back an extra 5% of it, minimum, sure. that's what you want. Awesome. And let's say you're dealing with somebody who has a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. So let's say I have a million dollars right yeah. now and I'm saying, Jillian, I trust you. You're awesome. I don't know what to do with this money. How can I make the biggest profit on this? What What would be your recommendation? What would you do with that? So I would say a couple of things. Either we can buy short-term rentals, like mm-hmm. Airbnb type of properties. Of course, you need a very seasoned realtor that does that because there's a lot of city restrictions. But I've been doing short-term rentals since 2004, since Airbnb, before they even had a website. So we can help you do that. I can, because I'm so seasoned with that, I can tell you what needs to go in the property to be a successful rental and what won't. We yeah. theme them, what goes in them. Or a flip. If you had a million dollars, and I have a lot of clients who do this, we'll take it out of their 401k and they'll buy a flip. Let's say initially maybe we'll spend six fifty on that property. We're buying it below value, usually about 30%. And then we're going to rehab the property. Now I can connect you. I have the contractors. I have the designers. I have the plumbers, electricians. I have everybody you need, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to flip that property. Typically, it's going to take us two to three months. could be five months if the house is burnt down, but two to three months in typical. We're going to do a projected aftermarket retail value that we're going to put it back on the market. 
and then you're going to get a spread. That's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Because let's okay. say you spent six fifty, you spent two hundred on the remodel, so you're in it for eight fifty. Mm-hmm. Now you have a little bit of holding cost, twenty k. You're in it for eight seventy. We're going to resell that for a million, million one, get you back quite a bit more money on your on your actual yeah. initial investment. That's going to be your best option. Airbnb type short term rentals. That one, same thing. We could spend six fifty on a property, maybe put a fifty to hundred grand into upgrades and and decorating and furnishings, and then some of those you can make seven grand a month. Some of them you can make twelve grand a month. So that's more of a getting a cap rate. Yeah. So there's lots of ways to make money that way too. That are that's that's if you want the recurring income. Gotcha. So if I want to do, if I just wanted to take a million and turn it into one point three or one point five, you'd probably find me one or two or three quick flip properties that quick we flips can do. Or wholesales. We'll do wholesales too with that as gotcha. well. Because a wholesale, if you put, you know, hundred grand into, you know, buying whatever the spread may be, we can get a wholesale. You can get a spread of twenty percent, sometimes forty percent of your wholesale too. So wow. wholesales. Or quick flips. If you have about a million dollars, we might gotcha. do a combination of both, or maybe we'll do two of, of one kind. Okay. It's a great money. And if you're all about passive income and long-term wealth, like I definitely am for sure, what would that get us in terms of short-term rentals and Airbnbs? Yeah, I really like the short-term rental option. There's, mm-hmm. there's like I said, a couple of tricky things to make it work for you, but the short-term rental option, I mean, is great. The only thing with short-term rentals is either somebody needs to manage it, right? Yeah. So are you going to do it yourself? And I have a lot of, I have, I have one client who started with one, now has 10. They've quit their full-time jobs and they make over a million for a year just on income on those wow. 10 properties. So they're doing really well, averaging about 140,000 a property. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they don't pay a property manager they do it themselves because they're like, hey, for 1.4, we quit our jobs. We're handling it. You're just doing the reservations online. You get a good cleaning company. The cleaning company can do inventory every time there's a turnover. Mm-hmm. And then you just go in and buy some new furnishing pieces every so often when you need to. And you just manage the reservations. The key is getting us to be a super host or getting out there. We also do some corporate rentals. If you mm-hmm. find a property that can't be rented nightly, short term is considered less than 30 days. So if you want to rent it for a week at a time, 10 days at a time, Corporate rentals could be like you get a homeowners association that says it must be rented for 31 days or more. Yeah. So we rent it to somebody had a flood in their house. The insurance company needs to put them in it for three months, five months. They have a corporate transfer. They're sending the CEO out here, but his home in Alabama hasn't sold yet. Or you got somebody from New York, they're going to have them here for three months. Or we put somebody in there for World Series of Poker. Yeah. Whatever. So on and so forth. Those are really great too, because generally on the corporate rentals are going to pay you a lot more. It needs to be fully furnished, just like an Airbnb, pots, pans, dishes, everything. Yeah. And they'll pay more because what the corporations look at is the average hotel room in Vegas is going to be at least 150 a night, sometimes 300 a night. Yeah. So let's just go with 200 a night. 200 a night, 30 nights is $6,000 and it's a hotel room. Yeah. Now, if you have, I have one right now, I have a movie crew. They were going to have to get five hotel rooms. Wow. 200 bucks a night. Right, so you're at a thousand bucks a night yeah. times thirty days are thirty thousand dollars. Wow! They were like, we'd rather just run a really nice property for yeah. seventeen, eighteen, Get twenty thousand nice dollars a month, put them all in one place. They're actually saving money. Yeah, and they're putting that film crew here for four months. And they're going to so be more comfortable. And they're going to be more comfortable. Yeah. They have a full kitchen. Yep. They're not paying for valet. They're not paying for parking. And they're also they give they're giving them a stipend for meals. Yeah, they're giving them less of a stipend because when you're in a hotel, you're eating every meal out. Yeah, this and these people are going to be there for four months. Yeah. So the the um, movie company was going to be paying thirty thousand just to put them up in a hotel plus a stipend. Now they're paying twenty thousand a month on the house, 
plus a lower stipend. So now the movie company, the entertainment company loves us. They're like, give us as many as possible. So we do a lot of those too. That's awesome. And these people aren't going to destroy it because it's their job, right? Yeah. So they're not going to like screw their company and right, <laughs> destroy right. these properties. Well, we're going to have to talk more because okay. for sure, me and my me and my wife love the idea of, first off, we love traveling and she actually loves the experience of yeah. Airbnbs that are like themed and stuff That's like that. That's our big thing we do right so, now. I, I love the idea of doing that and generating passive income through mm -hmm. Airbnbs and short-term rentals. So that's awesome. Um, now, for yourself, I know you you invest a lot of your own money I into do. different real estate avenues. So how do you manage risk in your real estate investments or what are some things that you try to stay away from? So there's always going to be some level of risk, right? Yeah. But I, I'm kind of a spreadsheet and, and numbers geek and guru, yeah. I say. Um, so the things I like to stay away from is is anything with major liability, yeah. right? And any property, uh, on the flip side, any property I do buy, I'm always looking for an it factor. So either does it have an it factor already, like a large lot, a strip view, something amazing, mm -hmm. a private lot, a corner, or can I make it have a strip, or I'm sorry, can I make it have an it factor? Like I'm going to really deck it out to the hills, right? Mm -hmm. So the it factor helps because if I ever need to resell it right away, that it factor is going to help sell it. Um, what I try to stay away from is, any kind of community with really strict HOAs, mm -hmm. because that can just make anything a nightmare. I don't care if you're long-term renting it. I mean, I'm not going to live there personally. So yeah. really strict HOAs, age-restricted communities, because you're limiting your renter pool, your buyer pool, you're limiting it way, way, way small. Anything that is uh, in, an, in not a great school district, because I'm always thinking long-term, what's my exit strategy, right? Yeah. Um, and anything with Unless it's an amazing deal, anything with a tremendous, crazy amount of rehab, like I got to completely, you know, redo all the electrical in the entire house. Yeah. Um, last little thing, because of the water restrictions that are happening in Las Vegas right now, I'm looking at anything to, if it's if it's on a well or if it's on septic, is it something that I'm going to have to tie into city utilities or county utilities eventually? Because that can be pricey. It could be fifty thousand per utility to a hundred thousand per utility, depending on where they're located at. So right now, if you're on a well and septic, you should be fine. But if you are on city water, or county water, and or basically Southern Nevada water district, if you're in that water but you're on a septic tank, they're eventually going to make you tie into sewer. Gotcha. So how far away is my sewer? Like I'm looking at future costs, basically. Yeah. Um. Anything. I try to not buy anything over thirty years old because eventually you're going to have roofing costs. You're going to have um, window costs. You're going to need to replace. You're going to have AC costs. I mean, these are big things. A roof in Vegas is good for 40, 50, maybe even 60 years. But if that house is 50 years old already, you're going to have some start getting some leaks, things like that. So I look for major things that I don't, components that I don't want to redo. So, and then I look for growing areas. Yeah. What is going to make this? Because Vegas, for anybody who doesn't know, generally the further out you go, the kind of the more desirable the areas yeah, get. Yeah, definitely. So, and there are some great areas central too, you know, like um, McNeil Estates and Rancho Bel Air and all those areas. But then there's some areas that are less desirable. Yeah. So I'm looking at further out, where is the growth going to go? Anything on the west side, Summerlin, northwest, southwest, I love. Anything southeast by Henderson Green Valley, I love. Future growth, schools, development. Last thing is I look at, too, where are builders developing? Because mm -hmm. if builders are willing to put in their money, they, they usually builders are developing a five- or ten-year plan. So if I know the builders are going to develop in this area, I should be safe. Yeah. And one other thing I look to stay away from is I don't ever want to be the most expensive house in the neighborhood. Yeah. I need people to bring up my value. And I don't want to just be bringing up theirs because I'm going to improve my houses. I'm going to make them better. Uh, to what? Because 
I don't want to be a slumlord. I want to have nice property. Yeah. So something that's desirable. So I want other areas to bring me up. So at least within a one mile radius, are there more expensive homes by at least 20% or more that are going to bring up my value? That's awesome. Well, I can tell in just 20 minutes that you have an incredible amount of real estate knowledge and we could probably talk for hours and hours <laughs> on real yeah. estate. I want to know a little bit more about you personally. I mean, you've got two daughters. Two daughters right? and a son. Two daughters and a son. How old are your kids? So my daughter, my oldest daughter is about to be 20. Yeah. And it's, I love saying that because everyone, when I tell them that, they're like, wait, you only look at like 20 years old. I'm like, thanks, guys. Yeah, I know. Uh, my oldest daughter is about to be 20 in a couple, two months. She'll be 20. My youngest daughter is about to be 17 wow. in about two months. So I have some older kids. And then my son, who I call the baby, yeah. is 14 and a half. So he's not really a baby, yeah. but I call him because he's my baby, right? So yeah, love being a mother. Awesome. And so having three kids, how is it that you're managing to balance your responsibilities as a mother with being such a real estate tycoon? Like, how do you do it? Yeah. So I'll tell you, that's always a delicate balance. Yeah. And I'll promise you this, anybody who tells you they have it figured out, they don't. Yeah. Everybody is struggling and trying to move things around. It's like it's like a puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. You want to put all the puzzle pieces in all the time. And there are going to be different stages of your life and of your kids' lives and of your spouse's life and all that, that they're going to need more of you. And there's going to be times they're going to need less of you. So it's funny when my kids are teenagers right now, the threat, because I love this when people say, oh, I need to be home when my kids are babies. When they're babies, yeah, you got to make sure they don't like fall in the pool or they don't like put their, you know, something in an outlet, mm -hmm. but there's less threats to them. When yeah. they're teenagers, they're driving, people can break their hearts. People are trying to get them to experience uh, drugs or sex or alcohol. Or there's there's threats on the road. People yeah. are trying to get them to sneak out of the house. There's so many more threats, mentally, emotionally, physically to mm -hmm. them. That's when you really want to protect them. This is just my opinion, so I don't know. Yeah. That's when you really want to protect them because the more things, I mean, the heartbreak alone, oh my goodness, because you can't <laughs> stop that, right? I know, they got to have their first date sometime, huh? Oh, yeah, so... So there's always going to be times that yeah. your kids are going to need you more and are going to need you less. Now, it's funny because now that my kids are older, it's hard to get them to spend time with me because they have school and they have jobs and they have sure. boyfriends and girlfriends and they have extracurricular activities and sports and they're driving and you're like, wait, I, I want to see you. Spend time with me. Yeah. Right? And then they think you're not cool, even though I'm so cool. <laughs> they think you're not cool. <laughs> they just don't know how cool yeah. you are. They don't have any idea, so, right? Yeah. So they're like, oh, you're old. I'm like, I'm not old. So, um, <laughs> so it's a balancing act, right? It's a balancing yeah. act because I also want to be very involved in my church. Church. Yeah, I want to still. I'm still a human, a person. I still want to go out with my friends. I still want to spend time with my significant other. Yeah, I still and I volunteered on a lot of boards. I sat on a lot of state real estate boards and legal boards, and I traveled the country to testify as expert witnesses and be on different boards. And so, it's hard because you're like, I want to be a person. I need to be fulfilled in the, my wants and needs. I need to be a great mother. I need to be a great role model. I need to lead my team. I need to make money. So it's this balancing act of constantly checking in, yeah. checking in with your kids. Like, do you feel like I'm here for you enough? Do you feel like you want to talk to me? Do you feel like you need me? Do you? So in my family, we have these check-in moments where it's like, are we good? Yeah. Are we good? Do you need me? Have I not been around? Because there's going to be weeks, I'm telling you, where I'm getting home sometimes at nine o'clock at night every night. Yeah. And then there's weeks where I'm home at five o'clock at night every night making dinner. And so there's that balancing act. And so it's really... It's something you always have to check in with. And I will say for me, because I've, I've had a lot of women specifically ask me this question. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I am not superwoman. And I have a lot of leverage. And I'm proud to say I have leverage. And here's why I say that. Because I don't want women to think, oh, she's doing it better than I am and I'm failing. Yeah. Because we all compare each other. We all compare ourselves to each other. Definitely. And comparison is the killer of joy. And so I want people to know, hey, I'm not a woman, one woman show. I have a nanny I've had for 14 years. 
She is a family member at this point. She is not an employee. She's like my kid's grandma. Yeah. I have a housekeeper. I have a personal assistant. And I have a lot of staff at my office. So, and I say that proudly again, and I want women to really hear this, but women and men, I'm not a one-woman show. I am not better than anyone. Yeah. We are all equal. I just leverage appropriately. If there's something I don't love, like I don't love laundry. Yeah. And if I'm doing laundry, I'm going to be doing it begrudgingly. And it's going to take the time away from my kids and my significant other. And so I'm going to have somebody else do the laundry. Yeah. I love to cook, but I don't like to grocery shop. So I'm going to have my groceries delivered. Yeah. I, I wanted, my son's been homeschooled. I wanted to homeschool him. I wanted him to have that one-on-one -on -one education, but I knew I couldn't do the homeschooling. Yeah. So my nanny does the homeschooling. Yeah. So I just leverage where appropriately because I know the things in life that I know are going to bring me joy, spending time with my kids, being able to watch a movie. I've seen so many moms are at home doing the dishes and making dinner while the whole family sit on the couch watching the movie. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to be present in the moment, enjoying it with them. And I haven't always been. There's been times that I've looked in the mirror and said, Jillian, nope. You, you need to make your family come first. You need to come first. I want to be able to go to the gym. Yeah. A lot of times I haven't been able to do that. So you just have to constantly check in with yourself, check in with your kids, check in with your spouse. I mean, I remember one time my spouse told me, Jillian, it's like we're it's like we're having a threesome. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, it's me, you, and the computer in the bed every night. Yeah. And he was right. Mm -hmm. And I was addicted to working. And I was like, you know what? Close the laptop. I was like, okay, laptop put away. Because that was him telling me. I need you. Yeah, exactly. I need your attention, not the computer. Definitely. Well, what are some like healthy boundaries you set with work? I've, I've had the same thing with my wife before that we needed to, especially when COVID hit, because it used to be like I would go to work at the office and then when I was home, I was home. Then COVID hit and all of a sudden I was at home on the computer and on the phone. She was like, I don't, I don't understand. You're here, you're but here, you're here, but you're not actually yeah. here. So what are some healthy boundaries that you set with your, your, between your family and your work? I would say that's probably a struggle that every entrepreneur deals with, man, yeah. woman alike. I don't care who you are. We all deal with that. It's like, what are the boundaries? Yeah. And there's been times that I have failed miserably, miserably, Me you guys. Too. I want to own that. Uh, so I now, I when I leave, I go to my office every day. And as a realtor, you can work from anywhere. But I go to my office, well, every day, Monday through Friday. Yeah. So I go to my office at eight or nine in the morning and I come home. I try to come home every night, five or 6 p.m. I try to come home, work, have dinner with my kids. There's going to be some nights where I'm doing things in the evening with clients or networking. But for the vast majority, I try to work banker's hours. Now, that doesn't mean if my clients call me or text me, there's a lot of times I'm glued to my phones. And if you know me, I have two phones. What I will try to do it is when the kids aren't around, be on my phone answering to my clients. Because I, I do tell my clients, as I told you, if I'm awake, I'll respond. Yeah. So I try to let them know. But like today, today's a Sunday. I had some clients texting me when I was at church. Church is really important to me. Church is important for family time. I texted my clients and said, hey, I'm in church. I'll text you and I'll call you when I get out. Yeah. I didn't step out. And, and the younger Jillian might have stepped out of church to take a phone call. Yeah. And I didn't do that. So I've had to set what's important to me. Church, family. Yeah. And I scheduled dates. Well, So my one daughter now lives on her own. She's out in college. So she lives in a different city. But with my other daughter, I try to schedule dates. So her and I were texting the other day. I said, when can I get you? Because she's a teenager, has a life. Yeah. So she gave me some dates and times. And I, we text each other. And I said, it's like a little contract. Okay, yeah. these are my nights with you. So like Monday night is my night with her. We're going to do stuff after dinner. And I'm not going to be working. And that's my date time with her. My son, I have times with him. So I dedicate it like it's an appointment. Because yeah. I want them to be, feel valuable and important sure. as well. Well, and when you're as busy as you are, if it doesn't actually get scheduled like that, it won't happen. It you're won't. never just sitting around like, oh, what should I do today? Yeah. So if, if it's not scheduled, it 
probably won't happen no matter how important it is. So. And, and on the flip side, though, I also wanted to teach my children by example, but also by just telling them too. Yeah. If you do have a goal, you can achieve it. Because Absolutely. a lot of people, like that wasn't necessarily taught to me when I was a kid because my mom worked initially a regular job as an employee. She didn't have that entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. And so I wanted to teach them, you can do this by design. So guess what? When we want to take a vacation, we can. When they were younger and they were in school, I never missed a dance event or I never missed a soccer game because I could also schedule that as an appointment. Yeah. If they had a soccer game noon on Saturday, I was there. <coughs> they had a recital at school at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, I was there. Now, if I was a regular employee, I might not be able to leave at two in the afternoon and be there. Yeah. So there was that give and take. Sure. Well, for somebody like you who's accomplishing so much, both between your personal life with your children and your family and with your business and with your investments, I'd love to know, like, what is your process for setting your goals of what's important to you? So big goal, I have very big goals. And if mm -hmm. I tell people them, sometimes they think, oh gosh, that's crazy. And a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, I would have thought they were crazy too. Yeah. So that leads me to my point. I set daily goals, yeah. monthly goals, yearly goals, and a five-year and a 10-year goal. And so I have known what my five-year and my 10-year goal have been for a while. I write them down. I plan them out. I tell my business partner what my goals are. I tell my kids what my goals are because I want them all involved in their process. Yeah. What my individual goals are. I live by a calendar. If it's not in my calendar, like you said, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And that's for my daily, my weekly, my monthly, my yearly. And every time I achieve that goal, though, I do set another goal. Yeah. Because I, I'm a very goal-oriented person. That's how I measure my success. Did I? And it's not about money. Did I achieve the goal? So if the goal was just to spend the afternoon with my daughter, did I achieve that? Perfect. I need to know. If my goal was just to eat healthy that day, did I achieve that? So it's not all financial-driven. Yeah. But the bigger picture is financial as well. Yeah. And I see so many people that I work with that they only really, maybe it's that they can only see that far ahead or I don't know what it is, but a lot of times I'll see them only setting daily or weekly or monthly. Our process sounds really similar, but to you, what's the value of setting that five to 10 year goal that's that far out? Because, well, for me, I need to know where the train is headed. Yeah. And so if I make a wrong turn, or if I get off the track, how do I realign myself? Yeah. And there's been times in life, I'll tell you, that I've looked in the mirror and I've thought, I'm completely off track. And not just financially, again, personally, professionally, spiritually, physically. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I got to get back on here. So I need to know where the destination is headed. You know, like if you booked a trip to Italy, you wouldn't just get on a plane and be like, hope I get there. Like you would know, I'm my final destination is here. I come in this date, this time. You have an itinerary. Yeah. Your life needs to have that itinerary as well. You need to know, okay, by 40 years old, I have a goal, this needs to happen. Yeah. And then you check in periodically, am I on track? Because you can get off track very easily. Yeah. And you can get in situations where you didn't even know you were going down this path. And you're like, okay, wait, let me realign. Let me. And it's important to tell those that are closest to you what your goals are. So they are like your accountability partners. Yeah. And they'll know if you need to make a quick realignment, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is because that goal that we did. So do your goal setting, do your goal planning, and keep it in mind. And I even do silly little things like write them on a whiteboard, write them on my mirror so I can see it every day. Yeah. Like when I was uh, wanting to get fit, and be, you know, I was writing the weight I wanted. I was writing yeah. how many times a gym, I, a week I wanted to hit the gym. When I, w I would write everything, income goals for this year, next year. And then I also keep my goals for the last couple of years. I want to see where, how far I've come. Yeah. And to me, it's always about a measure of progress. If I have made at least a 
swing, not just in money, again, 20% progress. Like if I said, I want to spend an hour every day reading. Yeah. But I start, I'm at least reading 20 minutes a day. Cool. You know, I'm at least, I'm, I'm yeah. exceeding my 20 minutes of progress. I'm at 33%. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay, that's great. I see where my progress is going. That's great. And you mentioned how you always share these goals with your business partner, your kids, your significant other. How important is that to share your goals with your support system? Oh, it's very important. And especially with children, because your, it's, it's your job to teach them healthy eating, which I haven't always been the best with. It's your job to teach them healthy relationships, which I haven't always been the best with. It's your job to teach them boundaries, money and management. You know, let's talk money for one second. Everything in life when it comes to money is about your relationship with money. Yeah. And I heard this and I thought this was brilliant. Do you abuse money? Do you let money abuse you? Or do you treat money with respect? And I'll tell you, a lot of people abuse money. A lot of people, it burns a hole in their pocket. As soon as they get it, they got to spend it. Or they're way over leveraging themselves. If you're treating money with respect, you're treating it carefully. You're valuing that dollar. And I don't care if you make $10 an hour or a million dollars an hour. It doesn't matter to me. If, if you make $10 an hour, you have to know that you can only live up to about a $7 an hour life. And then you need to treat money with respect by saving a little bit of it, treating it like a baby, like an egg, like you're going to protect it. There's some people that burn through money and way over, they make 10 bucks an hour, but they're spending 12 and they're putting on their credit cards. They're not treating money with respect. So what is your relationship with money? What's your relationship with food? What's your relationship with your religion? Yeah. What is your relationship with your kids and your partner? When we think relationships, we think people. Yeah. But it's also with stuff. What is your relationship with your animals? What is your relationship with your with TV? You know, like, what is your relationship with your mental health? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Like, do you tell yourself good things in the morning? You're smart, you're beautiful, you're worthy. Or do you tell yourself like, God, I'm fat, looking in the mirror. God, I messed up that. I'm so dumb. I can't believe I made that mistake. Yeah. What is your relationship with yourself? Yeah. Well, that's incredible. And, you know, having achieved so much at such a young age, what motivates you to keep going and pursuing these goals at this point? So for me, it's so much about security. I mentioned how we moved a lot when I was a kid. And there was a lot of, and, and not just moving, but that brings a lot of uphill. You're, there's a lot of change, change in environment all the yeah. time, right? And when you have a lot of change of environment, you don't feel a lot of security because things are constantly evolving, which life evolves, right? I get yeah. that. So there's some great lessons that come out of that. But there's also, for me, it, it led me to a lack of feeling secure in each environment because I knew it was going to change right around the corner. And so for me, having the goals and achieving my goals lets me feel secure in, in the promises I've made to myself. And then financial security is important to me. It yeah. makes me feel in control of my life. It makes me feel like I have options. If I don't want to go to work today because I have a migraine, cool. I don't have to go because I have some financial security in the bank. Yeah. But if I was working in a job and I had $4 in the bank and I knew my rent's due next month, I would have to get up and go. If I want to be out because my daughter's sick or just because she she needs a mental health day, she just needs to be with her mom today, Yeah, I can take that time. Or if my business partner needs me or when people come to me and they have emergencies and I have it happen all the time. Jillian, I need you to financially bail me out of this. Yeah, I can have a choice. Do I help this person and give them a leg up and give them an opportunity or do I teach them a, a financial lesson? Like what happens, right? So yeah. for me, hitting those goals in my business, allow me to have opportunity and opportunity for my future. I love grinding. I love hustling. That's who I am. But do I want to do this when I'm 75? And I see a lot of realtors who are 70, 60, yeah. 65, and don't have that security of being able to retire. I do want to retire. Even if my retirement might look different than yours, it sure. might look different than his and his and his. 
I want to be able to have the opportunity to right. retire. Opportunity is everything. Yeah, because you don't know how you're going to feel when you're 50 or 60, but mm -hmm. it would be awesome to have all the options in the world at that point, right? Yeah, and even right now, like I mentioned, my daughter's in college. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been blessed with the sacrifices that I have made to give my daughter the opportunity to go to any college in the world she wanted to go to. I can pay for it. She doesn't have to have a job. She doesn't have a job, the oldest one. She's able to enjoy the college experience with no stress. Yeah. I wasn't given those same opportunities. Yeah. So I had to get out and grind and hustle for myself. My parents, I've been able to help them out financially time and time and time and time and time again because I have the opportunity to do so. So they don't have to stress in their older age, where's their grocery bill going to come from? Yeah. So I've my grind and my hustle has allowed me to help my generation below me and the generation above me for those so they don't have to stress. Yeah, you changed the whole trajectory of your family name at that point. For That's sure. incredible. So with, with that, what kind of legacy do you hope to leave behind? And uh, what do you want your children to, to see in you, I guess? Like when, when, you're, when you're on your deathbed at that point, when you're 80, 90, 100, whatever, yeah. what do you want your children to say about you? How do you want them to view their mom? So that, this is deep. This is a good one. Yeah. So I'll tell you this. That leads into this. This Christmas, a couple months ago, I asked my daughter. She's 19. She said, what do you want us to get you for Christmas? I said, do you know what I want? I said, I want a mason jar with 25 reasons of why you love me in it. Handwritten. I don't want anything you can buy, right? So she writes me this, and I read them each day, one at a time. And it was so great because the things that I— And I said, I want you to be honest. Don't make it all sugary, like, oh, I love, I love yeah. you because you're my mom. Be honest. And, you know, this is my two oldest daughters that were putting it together. So 17 and 19, so they have a good basis of who I am and who they are. And they said, you know— I love how you take care of us. I love how you will always sacrifice for us. I love how you care about our well-being. It wasn't all financial. It wasn't like, I love that you can buy me any car I want. Yeah. They didn't write that, okay? So this was, that was important for me to see because they might have written that, right? So it's important for them, for them to see. I love how you always show up when we call you. I love how you're always there for us. I love how, when I'm just crying over my boyfriend that you show up for me. So I yeah. really, I want my kids to know, A, my mom was always there, emotionally, mentally, financially, spiritually, whatever it was. Yeah. My mom was always there. B, my mom gave us opportunity. My mom allowed us to not be stressed, us to not have to worry, yeah. us to not have to, you know, shudder. People are talking recession. They're not scared. They're not scared. Are we going to have a roof over our head? Are they going to have a meal on the table? They know mom's got us covered. Yeah. So I want them to see, A, I was always there for them. B, there was opportunity. I want my parents to feel the same way. Dad was there for them. Yes, there was opportunity. And I want my kids to, to also have learned, especially my daughters, and I don't mean for this to sound sexist, but there's no glass ceiling for women. Yeah. You don't have to put us in a box. You can be a mother and a business owner and an entrepreneur. And I retired my husband, you know, four year, uh, five years into us being married yeah. because he didn't have to work anymore. I want them to see, okay, you can break whatever glass box people put you to be in, man or woman. I want my son to see that you can have a woman who can do all things too and still be a great mom and still be a great yeah. spouse. And I want them to know that no matter what, mom's going to show up for them. Mom's going to be there for them. And that means even in, even in death, if God forbid I get hit by a car tomorrow and I walk out the door, I have trust funds set up for them, college funds set up for them, wedding funds set up for them, car funds set up for them. I have medical insurance set up for them. I have life insurance set up for them. Like mom was forward thinking. And it's funny because I started my college accounts for my one daughter when I was pregnant with her. Yeah. A lot of people aren't, and I was 23. A lot of people aren't thinking about that at that point, right? But I was thinking, let me prepare them for the future. 
Because yeah. I don't know if I can work. What if I can't work this way as of tomorrow? What if I have a stroke? Like, I have to do it when I can. They're, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Wow. And the last thing I want them to see is I want them to know, too, that my mom was a woman of faith. Faith has really become important to me the last six years of my life. I've always been a faithful woman, but but faith and my church are really important. Yeah. And, and even though sometimes they want to go and sometimes they complain, like, I don't want to get up early and go. Yeah. I want them to say, my mom prioritized her relationship with God. Yeah. Well, at least, you know, if you show that to them and they get to see your example and how important faith is to you, they'll get to make the decision on their own. But some families don't even get exposed to it. So that's awesome. Well, you started one of your first businesses at a really young age, right? How old were you when you first became a part owner in your first business? So... Uh, so my real estate, if you if you say my real estate team, actually, when I first started my real estate team, I was 20. Wow. And by 21, I had the 17th largest real estate team in the Century 21 system in the country. Wow. So in the entire country, Century 21 was the biggest company at the time. Not anymore, but, and we had the 17th largest team as far as production. I was 21. So I started that at 20 and at 21, we had that. And I remember thinking, and it was, it was tough because I had people on my team that were in their forties and were in their fifties. And they were looking at me like, what does this 21 year old girl know about business, know about money, know about investing, know about leadership, um, all these things. And I'll tell you this, what I learned most about leadership is I didn't want anyone to follow me. Yeah. I wanted to work with them. I wanted them to walk side by side with me and learn from my work ethic. That's yeah. all. I, and I, you're right. They might have had more years of experience. They might have had more sales experience. They, they had definitely had more life experience. Yeah, for sure. A lot of them. Nobody was younger than me on the team, but I, I was work ethic. Yeah. I was like, look, I'll be here the first one here. I'll be the last one out. If I don't know something, I'll find an answer, and I'll constantly look for ways to better us. Yeah. And so that was my first like major leadership role. Yeah. And of owning the team, and. Gosh, I learned so many life lessons yeah. from that. Well, you see that happen a lot. I know that happened for me too. So what advice do you have for for young leaders who are put in any sort of leadership role that they're one of the youngest or the youngest person in the room? So be willing to be coachable, even if you're the leader. I learn off my brand new agents today. Yeah. Be willing to be coachable. Be willing to be open. Never put them down for being new or newer than you. Because you were new at some point too. Mm-hmm. Be willing to be open to constantly finding new ways to innovate your business. You can never get stagnant. I don't care what business you're in. Everything evolves. Everything changes. Embrace technology. Embrace. I mean, the first podcast I ever did, I had never even heard of, of a podcast. I never even listened to one before I was on one. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what is this? Okay, I'm a little scared. So be willing to embrace technology and learn off of your people that are younger than you. Yeah. There's, there's, so much that I learned. I have a girl on my team that's 24 years old and I learn stuff from her all the time. Wow. So just be be coachable. If you want to coach people, you need to be coachable. Yeah. You need to be willing to change and learn and realize there might be a better way. That's incredible. And so starting your own business at 21, not a lot of people do that. So what are some of the lessons you learned just at being a business owner at such a young age? Okay, so save money. <laughs> Do not spend everything that you make. Yeah. You need to reinvest money into your business. And some people will tell you 10%. 10% is a BS answer. You need to be willing to reinvest, I would say, a minimum of 25. And if you want to scale, maybe 35% of the money you're making needs to go back into your business. So mm-hmm. don't go and buy the flashy car and the flashy house and all this stuff if you're not saving that money to reinvest it into your business. Yeah. Number one. Number two, like I said, 
be a good leader that's willing to get down in the trenches with them. Like my dad told me years and years and years ago, he goes, Jillian, there are CEOs and there are, and there are janitors, but the CEO needs to be willing to do the janitor's job. There's, I would never tell somebody to go and do something that I'm not willing to do myself. I would never tell you, hey, go clean out that bathroom if I'm not willing to get down there with you. And there's been times I've been scrubbing tiled floors and I'm in six inch heels yeah. right, in a dress. I would never, t- nobody's, nobody's beneath you. Yeah. Everyone is willing. If you want them to be part of your link, your chain, you need to make them strong just like you. Yeah. So just know that nobody is, nobody's below you. Save money, reinvest it into your business. Don't think you know everything because you definitely don't. Bill Gates doesn't know everything. Donald Trump doesn't know anything. All these, you know, uh, big multi-billionaires out there, they don't know everything. And don't ever think that you're the smartest person in the room. And if you are, you need to get into a different room. Yeah. Because I constantly am looking to reinvent my circles so I can learn off other people. I want to be the least successful person in the room. I want to be the the weakest link in the room. So I'm learning off the next person, the next person. And take opportunity. And opportunity sometimes comes in in forms that you don't even recognize. There's been so many times I've been invited to dinners and I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go. And then I drag my butt up and I go and I've learned so much from the people in the room. I'm like, I'm so glad I went. So when opportunity is knocking, open that door. Yeah, that's incredible. And for you, somebody who's accomplished so much, you said that you've got a lot of great habits and a lot of great routine-based systems in your life that have really contributed to your success. So what are some of those daily habits that you have that have really helped get you on the right track? So I'll tell you this, there's magic in the morning. Yeah. There's magic in the morning, you guys. If you sleep in and I don't ever want to be negative to people, but if you sleep in, you're missing so much of the day. If I sleep in until nine o'clock, I've missed half my day. Yeah. I mean, nine o'clock would be ridiculous to me. My idea of sleeping in is eight because I'm usually up at 6.30 every day. And I've had a lot of years where I was up at 5.30 every day. And I'll also tell you, I'm also a night owl. I don't go to bed till midnight, generally, sometimes later. And I'm still up at 6.30 every day. So there's magic in the mornings because in the mornings, there's quietness. Especially, I I get it. There might be mothers and fathers out there that have kids. You got to get ready for school. Perfect. So that's why I got to be up by 630. I need at least a half hour to myself to have my coffee, get my mind right. Then I got to start getting my kids up at seven, make sure they're having breakfast, make sure they're getting ready, make sure they're getting dressed in the shower. And then I can do emails while they're in the shower. And then I'm getting myself ready. And then I'm out of the house. If I leave my house after eight o'clock every day, I feel like a loser. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, the day got away from me. So magic in the mornings, get up early. Okay. Have a moment to yourself. I don't know if that's because you want to pray. I don't know if that's because you want to check your email. I don't know if that's because you want to read an inspirational book. Maybe you want to work out. But when I say a moment, for you, it might be 10 minutes. For me, it might be 20. For him, it might be 30. But give yourself some time that is you time to get your mind right. Start, and beyond that, start your day with some level of success. So it might be making your bed. I'm sure you've heard that. You know, or something, or writing affirmations on the mirror or praying, or watching a Tony Robbins motivational video, or maybe you're watching some motivational TikTok videos. So you've given yourself a few moments. Mm -hmm. Now you found an accomplishment. I wanted to accomplish reading a chapter in this book or watching a motivational video. Then, uh, and, and organize your morning. Don't let your morning take control of you. You need to be in control of it. So if you know you want to check emails, you got to, like my, my morning routine, I got to feed the dogs. I got four dogs that feed that eat different food. So mm-hmm. I got to put one in this room, one in that room, one in this wow. room. Okay, because they have different diets. Yeah, got to get my kids up. I want to have my coffee. So I know that my morning is definitely regiment, and I got to be out of the house by this time. And I, the other thing is, I look at my morning the night before. Okay, what's going to happen that day? I set myself up for the day, 
the night before. Yeah. So if I need to schedule appointments, reconfirm appointments, steam my dress, pick out what I'm wearing, shower the night before, whatever it is I need to do, I get that done the night before. Yeah. So in the morning, nothing is going to derail me because something could happen. You could have a plumber calling you, oh, there's a leak at this house or whatever. Yeah. You know, you could have somebody calling you, hey, they didn't get the wire transfer or whatever. So get as much done the night before, plan your day the night before, give yourself a couple of minutes to yourself, allow yourself to get your morning right, but, but plan that in advance. Okay, I'm going to have 10 minutes to read my Bible scriptures. I'm going to have 10 minutes to do my affirmations. I'm going to have 10 minutes to read um, a chapter in this book and 10 minutes to work out. Then I start with kid time. Then I do breakfast. Then I do lunches. Then I do this and that. So give yourself that time. Plan awesome. it out. Awesome. So the a successful morning routine starts the night before. Absolutely, it plan. does. Yeah, because I think everybody's morning routine is going to look different. There's, yes. no one There's no one template that just works for everyone. But I, I love what you said about a moment to yourself yeah. because then you take a second to just get focused before it's everybody else's needs, right? Well, and one thing that you said, I, I want to almost repeat it because I want to make sure people really hear it because I think it was so important. Yeah. I, not everyone's morning routine is going to look the same. Not everyone's day, not everyone's life is going to look the same. That back to that point of comparison is the killer of joy. Yeah. We all do it. We all compare ourselves to the model, the, the friend of yours that's super fit, that works out all the time. Yep. The friend of yours who made, you know, $80 million in Bitcoin. I'm exaggerating you guys, but you get the point, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the person who looks like they have a perfect marriage, you know, yeah. his wife's a model. They never argue. They're always on gorgeous vacations. Don't compare yourself to anybody. Everybody has problems. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has issues. Yeah. Your issues might be different than mine. Maybe you have an amazing marriage, but I'm great with money, but my marriage is suffering. Maybe you have amazing kids. They're going to Ivy League schools and my kids want to be a, a, a an airplane tech. Who knows, right? Yeah. There's no perfect path to success. Success is just happiness. If you're happy, if your kids are happy, you're successful. Done. Don't compare yourself to what John is doing down the street and Betty's doing over here and Sally's doing over here because all of us are going to look different. And especially on social media because we all just put the best parts in social media. Absolutely. Nobody puts, hey, my dog bit me this morning. The mailman delivered my, my letter across town and my husband yelled at me before I walked out of the house. Nobody puts that on social media. Yeah. They put, hey, look, I just made $10 million on this deal. It's great. And my body is looking great. And I worked out today. They don't tell you that yesterday they freaking ate a whole pizza to themselves. Yeah. Right? For sure. So don't compare yourselves to people. It's really important. And, and we're all guilty of it, every one of us. Yeah, for sure. That was going to be my next question is when you catch yourself in that mindset where you notice that you are comparing yourself mm -hmm. to other people, how do you kind of uh, reconvene? How do you recalibrate and stop yourself from comparing? So, and I hope this doesn't get too deep, but as I told you, you know, I'm a woman of faith. Yeah. And so I have to remind myself, I'm not the skinniest. I don't look like a Victoria's Secret model, right? I'm barely five foot tall. There's some women that I know have six foot long legs, you know, or they look super successful or their husbands are, you know, making great money or their kids look like they're perfect. And I just remind myself, I'm a daughter of God. This is how God made me. I'm perfect in his eyes. And I need to allow myself to believe that I'm perfect as well. Meaning, per I, I'm flawed. I'm perfectly flawed. Yeah. And that's the way God's made me. And as long as every day I'm just striving to do better and I'm striving to feel better about myself, then I'm winning, right? Yeah. And yeah, everyone, somebody might actually have a better life than me, but God designed me to have this life. And there's been times where I've gotten kicked in the teeth. I got punched in the teeth by life, yeah. per se. And I'm like, wait, God, why'd you do this to me? And I remember, oh, it's so I can be better. He's teaching me something. And I stop for a second. And I think to myself, okay, God, what do you want me to learn from this? 
If I lost money on a deal, if I lost a client, if my spouse yelled at me, if my kid told me I'm not cool, she doesn't want to spend time with me, okay, what, what do I need to learn from this? Because there's a lesson in everything. And even if you don't believe in God, there's maybe it's the universe. Yeah. Maybe it's just the world telling sure. you something. Okay, world, what do you want me to learn? Okay, world, what can I take from this? World, how can I get better? Okay, I lost five escrows in a day. Okay, world, you know what that does? That gives me more time to focus on finding different clients, better yeah. clients, more motivated clients. Cool. My spouse wants to leave me. Okay, world, this gives me an opportunity to find another love in my life. Perfect. My And I'm making some of this stuff up, but my kid doesn't want to spend time with me. Okay, I just got to keep loving on her. She'll come around. She's a teenager. Cool, you know, so it's it's what lesson does life, does God, does the world want you to learn? I love that. I love that. And I've been afraid to share this before because I didn't know if people would really understand it, but I read something also that says the biggest lie in the world today is that nobody's perfect because you're the first person I've ever heard say that, that you are perfect. And I know what you mean. I know you don't mean I'm perfect. There's no flaws, but it's a huge problem when people look at, you know, nobody's perfect because I actually believe the same as you that we're all perfect yeah. and we're all perfect in the way that we we're made and everything is happening inside us for a particular reason. By design. So, it's all by that. design. We're perfectly imperfect. Yeah. I am the person that God made me to be. And if I keep wanting to be somebody else, well, God didn't make me that person. Yeah. God didn't make me a man for a reason. God yeah. didn't make me a Victoria's Secret model for a reason. Sure. God made me this person. And, and instead of saying, what am I missing? Let me embrace what God has given me. Yeah. He's given me these tools. And like for me personally, I always say, my this is a joke, but I always say my best tools is I'm a great realtor and I'm a great mother, right? What that means is I can't sing, I can't dance. I, I'm not the best in a bikini, you know, all these things, right? But I'm great at what he gave me. And yeah. so he's given me a, what I consider is a brilliant mind in business. And so instead of focusing on what I don't have, I'm not a size double zero. I'm not in the gym 20 hours a day. Let me focus on what I do have. I have yeah. a brilliant business mind. And, and while I'm looking at what I don't have, people are looking at me being inspired on what I do have. So let me focus on what I do have. He's given, you might be an incredible singer and I can't carry a tune to save my life. God gave you your gift. So focus on your gift. And yeah. I'll focus on my gift, which is not being an incredible singer. My gift is being a great business mind. Yeah. So just focus on, we all have gifts. Every single one of us have multiple gifts. Focus on those. Yeah. And for all of you guys who are afraid of the G word out there, <laughs> I mean, you can just, if you don't want to call it God, you yeah. can view this as the universe or Life. nature, whatever. It doesn't matter. This has yeah. nothing to do with any particular yeah, faith. Sorry. Yeah, we're not but... even mentioning faith at all. <laughs> whatever you believe in, if it's the if the world has given you this gift, focus on the gifts that the world has given you. For sure, for sure. And I loved something you said about making sure there's uh a lesson in everything and what can you learn from everything. Yeah. So let's say if you get a dealt uh, a real bad hand, you have something bad happen to you. How do you force yourself to look for the lesson in that thing? So I'll be really vulnerable for a second. Can yeah. you do that? Okay. So I got married at 18. Mm -hmm. I married the boy next door. Thought I was wildly in love. He was handsome, incredible. And at 22, I was a widow. And I didn't see it coming. I, it was It was you know, it, worst moment of my life. Yeah. I mean, I've never lost, well, and, I, and actually I'll get really vulnerable here for a second. Okay. So we were pregnant, had a, I had a miscarriage, lost the baby in May, my husband died in July. Wow. So within three months, I lost my child and my husband. Really thought the world was kicking me, Yeah. right? I went from being in love and happy and thought the world was great to wait, all of a sudden my life is completely starting over. 
couldn't live in my house anymore because I couldn't stand to come home to that house every day. Yeah. Immediately sold the house and thought, okay, my complete life is flipped upside down in three months. And I, I mean, I had some dark moments at that point because you're thinking, why do I even want to live? Yeah. Like, what do I have to live for? Like my whole life, the rug has been pulled out. And you're sometimes looking at the universe, looking at God, and you're like, why'd you do this to me? Yeah. And that's where I got the life lesson of, okay, what's the lesson here? God, what do you need from me? How do you want me to learn from this? And I'll tell you, that losing my child and losing my husband made me appreciate my future children and the children I have now so much more. Yeah. Made me appreciate being married so much more. Yeah. And it also made me realize that things do come and go. And yeah. I have got to find some resilience of when, you know, I didn't know my husband was going to die. I didn't know that my baby, I was going to lose my baby. I mean, I already had a crib. I already had a room. I already had the baby, the nursery done. I didn't know that that was going to happen. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, I knew in that moment, I can let this kill me, break me, break me down, whatever, or I can become stronger from this. Yeah. And I talk about that a lot, and I, I couldn't for years talk about it, I'll be honest with you. you know, it's been 20 plus years now, but I, because I want to show people, you know, things do happen. Things out of your control happen. Bad sure. things happen. But you got to find a way to get up, survive, and thrive from them. I didn't want to become a shell of a woman because this happened to me. I needed to understand what happened for me. And what happened for me was instead of focusing on my husband passed away, I instead focused on, I had two and a half, almost three years with a man that I loved. And what a gift that was. It was, I wasn't focused on the loss of losing him. I was focusing on the gift that I had him. And I was focusing on the gift that I felt a baby in my stomach at some point. And that, that then definitely put in my head that I absolutely wanted to have children. And yeah. then I did. And then I had children that are amazing. And even though sometimes they drive me nutty <laughs> and I'm like, why'd you do that? I love those kids, Yeah, you know? And it's like, it, I focused on now, then I knew I wanted, I for sure wanted kids. I always thought I wanted kids before, but then I knew I wanted kids. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to get remarried and I knew I wanted a husband. And so it was a reframing my life because bad things are going to happen to everybody. And there might be different levels of bad and different levels of good. But instead of focusing on the loss, the bad, the negative, the why me, the poor me, the all that, it was, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this person into my life. Thank you for showing me how precious life is. Thank you for showing me, giving me the opportunity to love somebody. Thank you for showing me how delicate that love can be. Yeah. So when I love again in the future, I know that. So it was really powerful about reframing everything that happens to you. You can look at the bad and focus on why me, poor me, or you can look at the good and say, Thank you for giving me the opportunity. That's incredible. And somewhere out there, somebody's watching this and saying, oh my gosh, if Jillian can lose a child, lose her husband, and she can still come back from that and create this beautiful family and this incredibly successful career and this great life, then I can too. Yeah. So that's incredible, Jillian. Well, it's been so amazing having you on the show. And if, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? So either Instagram or Facebook, I'm Jillian Bachelor, and it's Bachelor with a T. So J-I-L-L-I-A-N-B-A-T-C-H-E-L-O-R, either on Instagram or Facebook. I'm super authentic, you guys. I post a lot, so some people love that. But you're going to see the good, the bad, the wins, the ups, the downs. Um, you're going to see lots of dogs, lots of kids, lots of real estate, <laughs> All of it. lots of investing, um, big personality, and that's just who I am. I hope to help people reach out to me. I answer all my messages individually. I'd love to connect with anybody. 